0: We are looking this morning at John chapter 14. I'd invite you to turn there if you have a copy of scripture. Picking up where we left off last Lord's Day. And we are looking at John 14, beginning in verse 15. We're going to read down to verse 30. This is the upper room discourse. The Lord Jesus is Going to the cross, these are some of the greatest truths that he's ever going to speak. Some of the greatest truths recorded in scripture. And I noted last Lord's Day that this is um, really the most focused section on Trinitarian theology in the New Testament. While the Trinity is taught everywhere in the New Testament, here the Lord Jesus is revealing both the Father to his disciples... And he is revealing the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Very interesting. The closer Jesus gets to the cross, the more clear the Trinity becomes. Isn't that interesting? He, he has alluded to the Holy Spirit early in chapter 7, but now he is going to talk about the Spirit in a very focused way, both here and some in chapter 15, and then quite a bit in chapter 16. And so we're looking this morning at John 14, verses 15 through 30. And now Jesus says to the eleven, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say that to you, I am going away, and I will come to you again. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe." I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, Jonathan Edwards, the great uh, 18th century New England Puritan, has a sermon Uh, on verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, and it is titled, The True Peace That Christ Gives His Disciples. And in that sermon, Edwards basically says, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, Jesus had no lands or possessions to bequeath upon his disciples as a parent on their deathbed would give over to their children in their last will and testimony But what Jesus had to give them greater than that, he is going to tell them he is going to give them to the full. He not only says that he's going to give them peace, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, but he says, and he explains very clearly here, he is going to give them the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that had knit him together in the womb of the Virgin, the same Spirit that had guided him through his entire ministry, the same Spirit by which he cast out demons and performed wonders, and the same Spirit that raised him from the dead, Jesus was now going to give to his disciples. Uh, The old Reformed theologians used to speak about the Holy Spirit as having been purchased by Christ on the cross. Now, the Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Godhead. He is as much God as as Jesus is God. When we speak about the Holy Spirit, sometimes Christians will mistakenly call him it. I don't know if you've ever heard that. It really irks me when I hear it, but I probably did it when I was young. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It is a he. The Holy Spirit is God. And uh, Jesus is going to tell us about the precious gift of the Holy Spirit that's uh, he's going to send to his disciples once he goes to the Father. Now, that is the background we've talked about, that Jesus has told the disciples, I'm going away, you can't come with me. And their hearts are troubled. You now I was thinking about this uh, recently. We probably really have no idea how troubled their hearts would have been when they had given up everything to follow him. They had staked everything on who Jesus is, and they had bound themselves to him in such a way that back in chapter 6, Simon Peter could say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, so Peter is saying, there is nothing else I, I want and need than you. I need your instruction, I need your guidance, I need your redemption, I need what you and you alone can give me. And now Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be with you. And notice that Jesus has not only said back in chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled, but he says it again. Notice down in verse 27, the latter part. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He knows what's happening in their hearts. Um, And so he is going to comfort them now by telling them that he is going to send another advocate another advocate in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to consider three things this morning. As we look at this passage, first, I want us to consider the Spirit as our teacher. First part of this, Jesus is going to explain the work of the Spirit as the teacher of his disciples, and then I want us to consider the Spirit as our counselor, and then I want us to consider the Spirit as our peace. The Spirit as our teacher, the Spirit as our counselor, the the Spirit as our peace, well, one of the things that the disciples would have realized very quickly when, when thinking about Jesus not being there with them anymore is, who's going to teach us? Remember, in the upper room, he had said to them, if I, your Lord and teacher have done this to you, you also ought to do. He, he understood his role, that, that he had the heavenly doctrine, that no one else spoke like that man spoke. No one else revealed what Christ could reveal, because Jesus is God in the flesh. If you see him, you see the Father. If you hear him, you hear the Father. No one said the things Jesus said, and the disciples understood that, that they needed Jesus to be their teacher, guiding them all the way to eternal life. And that if they didn't have him as their teacher, they were hopeless and helpless. And so, it's interesting, when Jesus comes uh, to instruct them, he, he says, I will ask the Father, verse 16, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. The first thing Jesus says about the Holy Spirit is that he is the Spirit of truth. Now remember, Jesus just a few verses earlier said, I am the truth. Jesus is the truth. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Whatever Jesus is, whatever's true of him, is true of the Spirit. And what's fascinating is Jesus is essentially saying to the disciples, because he, he is going to say in this section, it's better that I go away, because if I don't go, the Spirit won't come to you. But I'm going to send him to you. It's going to be better for you because He's going to remain with you. Now, these are difficult sayings. Why would it be better for the Holy Spirit to come than to have Jesus bodily present here? Well, remember Jesus came as the second person of the Godhead to do something that no other person in the Godhead did. He came to atone for the sins of his people. He had to go to the cross and then he had to ascend to the right hand of the Father and he had to be exalted on the throne of God, ruling and reigning all authority in heaven and earth given to him as the incarnate son, as God and man in one person forever. And that role was not given to the Father or to the Holy Spirit. And so notice when Jesus says in verse 16, notice this. He says, I will give you another helper. And I'm going to say advocate is a better Gloss there. I'm going to give you another advocate. And notice he says, he will be with you forever. Um, J.C. Ryle, meditating on the words, the spirit abides forever, says this, when we read of the spirit abiding forever with disciples, it means that he will not, like Christ after his resurrection, return to the Father but will always be with God's people until Christ comes again. Isn't that cool? The Holy Spirit never ascends to heaven. He descends, and he remains. He's not going anywhere. The Holy Spirit is always going to be manifesting the truth about Christ in the lives of Jesus' disciples. He is going to be with you forever until Christ comes again and what he's going to do and you need to listen carefully because Jesus is at one and the same time saying something very unique to the disciples and then he is also saying something to us now what is he saying unique to them well remember they are going to become conduits of the full revelation of God right the the man writing this gospel the apostle John would write several new testament letters and this gospel Because the Holy Spirit would come upon him, and as Jesus says in chapter 16, he will lead you into all truth. He's saying he is going to reveal more. By the way, um, in chapter 16, Jesus says about the Spirit, he will take of mine, and he will declare it to you. If you want to know if the Holy Spirit is at work in a church, is Jesus being exalted? Jesus says, he will take of mine and he will declare it to you. It doesn't mean we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. But his work is to reveal Christ into the very hearts of the people of God. So if you want to if people say, "Well, is your church a spirit-filled church?" you can say, "Our church exalts Jesus." So, yes. Because that's the work the Spirit does. And he's going to use these disciples that they are going to be led into further truth about him. And, and they are going to reveal more about him. Um, in one sense, Jesus is essentially saying to the disciples, and now he's saying this to us this morning, you will not know less Christ by him not being here physically, you'll know more Christ. Isn't that interesting? He's saying you will not know less of me, you will know more of me because he is gonna give the fullest revelation into the very minds and hearts of the people of God through the completion of Scripture. And, and don't we see this played out, right? When when these things were said, the New Testament had not been written. When we read the rest of the New Testament, that's what's happening. Progressively, the Holy Spirit is revealing Christ. He is, he is explaining Christ. He is the Spirit as our teacher. But then secondly, I want us to consider the Spirit as our counselor or advocate. Now, you all probably know this. There in verse 16 is the first time that Jesus refers to the Spirit as the paraclete in Greek. And that has been translated lots of different ways. Helper, counselor, advocate. And um, uh, the word is used five times in the New Testament. It is used once of Christ in 1 John 2.2. 2 where we are told, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we've got, we've got a defense counsel in heaven. That's good news. We have a defense attorney standing at the right hand of God, representing us. And then every other time it's used, the four other times, it's about the Holy Spirit. And I think the best way we can interpret this is defense counsel. He is a defense counsel in the lives of God's people. How, how are we going to know if we are really Christ disciples? The Spirit is going to bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How will the world know that we belong to Christ? They will see the Spirit at work in us, exalting him, glorifying him. Um, they won't see him or know him. They won't understand what's happening. But, but he will act, and this is very important, he will act as a defense attorney in defending us, protecting us, verifying us, and keeping us. Um, I had never thought about this. This is fascinating. Remember that in Matthew 12, Jesus is doing all these miracles, and the Pharisees come and they say, you're doing this by Satan. And he says, no, I'm doing it by the Spirit of God. So Jesus cast out demons by the Spirit of God, In his humanity, as man, as second Adam, he needed the Holy Spirit to empower him so that he could be our representative. And that means that Jesus was himself defended by the Spirit working through him, verifying who he is. Listen to this. Sinclair Ferguson says this. I love this. The Holy Spirit is Christ's defense counselor. He is sent to defend the cause of Jesus in the heart of the weakest believer. The poorest, weakest, frailest believer has the same Holy Spirit in his or her heart who defended Jesus against a legion of demons. Don't miss that. The same Spirit that defended the truth of Jesus against a legion of demons is the same Spirit, Jesus says, that's going to dwell in you. He's going to dwell in us, and he is going to be a defense counselor for us. It doesn't matter how weak or poor. It doesn't matter how frail. He is going to bear witness. Why do I keep believing in Jesus Christ? Why do you keep believing in Jesus Christ? Why do others not continue believing in him? Because the Holy Spirit is there as our advocate leading us, guiding us, keeping us, defending us and preserving us for the cause of Christ in us. The only reason I continue believing in Jesus is because the Spirit is the advocate. Now here's the other good news. We have two defense counselors. This is right. Jesus says here I'm going to send you. Notice verse 16. I probably should have just preached one verse here, but um, I'll ask the Father. He will give you another, another counselor. There's two of them. So right now, here's the good news. If you're a Christian, you have an advocate in heaven for when you sin. He is the righteous representative who has atoned for your sins, who is representing you, who is praying for you and interceding for you, and you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus in you doing all those other things. Isn't that awesome? Two persons of the Godhead actively defending you and keeping you. Um, That ought to be the greatest comfort, because if we were left to ourselves, we would not continue believing in Jesus. We never would have believed in the first place. Um, I I remember the first time I know the Holy Spirit indwelt me. I was driving down Wade Hampton Boulevard in Greenville in the upstate and and it was like it was like a Greenville revival in my car and I was very presbyterian but I was so overwhelmed by the presence of Christ by the spirit in me and never having experienced that that I literally thought I had to pull my car over and and stop now you may not have had an experience like that but if you're a believer you have the same Advocate dwelling in you, keeping you, working in you, revealing Christ in you, causing Christ to be formed in you. It's not just that he enables us to believe on Christ as he's in heaven. He actually causes the Lord Jesus to be formed in us. He dwells in us. Notice Jesus talks about making our home with you. If anyone keeps my word, the Father will love you, and, and we will come, and we will make our home with you. If somebody asks you, what is the essence of Christianity? You can say, God, the triune God dwelling in me by faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit causes the Father and the Son to dwell in the hearts and the lives of his people. We are the temple of God. Um, The Holy Spirit dwells in us, and he's with us, and he's among us, and he remains with us. Now, do we always... Do we always perceive the Spirit indwelling us? No. Why? We, we grieve the Spirit, don't we, by our sin. We, we can quench the Spirit. I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I've confessed sin and, and asked the Lord, please forgive me for grieving the Spirit. Please restore the joy of your salvation. We can, we can choose our flesh over his abiding presence. And yet that doesn't mean that he's not there with us. He's there to convict us of our sin when we sin. He's there to bring us to the foot of the cross. What, what makes me come to the foot of the cross and see my need for the crucified Son of God? The Holy Spirit does, doesn't he? Even when we stray, he is leaving us uncomfortable in our souls. He's leaving us disquieted. He's bringing his word to convict us and to bear on us. And, and he's not just the abiding spirit. He is, in that sense, the restoring Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to just consider here, very briefly in the third place, the Spirit is our peace. I I opened this sermon with that account of Jonathan Edwards' sermon, True Peace, that Christ gives his disciples. And, you know, when, when we think about, in our day and age, we're so, we are so captive to our environment that we don't even need know how to think properly about things. When, when we think about peace because of our society, we think about just, just getting along, living, let other people live, just, you know. And look, I want as little conflict in my life as is humanly possible. And you should want that too, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, you're going to have as little conflict in your life as possible because my peace is going to do that. He's saying, when I send the Spirit to you, he is going to work the fruit of the Spirit in you. The, the fruit that belonged to me, the peace that I had with my Father, the unity, the harmony, the fellowship, the communion, that same identification You are going to have because you're united to me by the spirit and he is going to work those things in you. By the way If you read John 14 through 16 carefully Jesus is going to call it my peace my love and my joy He talks about giving his disciples my peace my love and my joy and It shouldn't take you long to say, wait a minute, those are three of the first fruits of the Spirit. He is going to give the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of his people so that even when things are difficult and challenging, even when there is conflict and hardship and suffering and opposition and persecution, and these disciples are going to know affliction. They can have the same peace that Christ had in his heart. You know, I'm a very, you know this about me, if you've gotten to know me, I'm a very sort of emotionally roller coaster kind of guy. My wife puts up with a lot. Um, and, and maybe you're like that. We, we have conflict, we have trials, we, we get worked up, we, we don't know how to respond. Well, Well, I think Jesus is essentially saying here to them, look, don't let your hearts be troubled because I'm going to give you my spirit, I'm going to give you the truth, He's going to be your advocate, and he's going to produce peace in you. One of the the remarkable things when you think about the Lord Jesus is, yes, his soul is weighed down with agony in the garden. He was not an emotionless man. The Lord Jesus was not a sort of automaton. He wasn't a robot. I mean, he sweat great drops of blood at the prospect of having fellowship broken with his father, the agony of his soul. But then when he goes to trial and he stands before Caiaphas, the high priest, Pilate, when he is condemned by the Romans and the Jews, when he is scourged and spit upon and mocked, crowned with thorns, when he is nailed to a cross that he had to carry himself, to be nailed to for your sin and my sin, he doesn't seem the least ruffled. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't seem ruffled. In fact, he's actually thinking about other people. When he's hanging on the cross under the wrath of God, he's thinking about a home for his mother. When he's hanging on the cross under the wrath of God for our sins, he's saying things like, Father, forgive them, the people crucifying me, because they don't know what they're doing. When he is hanging on the cross, the Lord Jesus is thinking about you and bringing many sons to glory. How is he doing that? Because he has a divine peace about him. And that's what we so desperately need. Um, The world can't give you this. You're never going to get it in a self-help book. By the way, I may have said this, I don't know, but if self-help books worked, you'd only have one of them. Yes, you'd only need one. Um, Well, you you only need uh, one book. You need the words of the Lord Jesus. You need the spirit of truth. Um, We need him as our teacher. We need him as our counselor. And we need him as the one who gives us his peace. Um, Very interesting. I just note here at the end of this passage, verse 31, after saying these things, Jesus says to his disciples, Rise, let us go from here. Now, you wouldn't know this in the English, but in the Greek, it's actually military language. He's actually saying, let's go to war. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to give you another helper, defense attorney, spirit of truth. I'm going to give you my peace. Now I'm going to war for you. Why, Why should we take great comfort in this? Because Christ purchases all of this for you on the cross and in his resurrection and Christ freely gives us the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful. You can't do anything to get this. These are the greatest truths ever and we can't do anything. We have to receive them by faith in Christ. Now, I think it is right and good that we would pray more often for the Holy Spirit. I need you to pray that for me. I need to pray that for you. We need the Spirit at work among us. You know, I um, I mentioned that you know if a church has the Holy Spirit because Christ and all of his graces are exalted in that church. There was an occasion where I knew of a church that had really fallen apart by division and contention, selfishness, fighting, bitterness, anger, and a friend of mine uh, said to my wife that the last Sunday they went to that church, someone had said something that was wildly unbecoming of a Christian, and this woman said to my wife, it was at that moment, I believe the Holy Spirit was no longer in that church. You see, this is the implication for this church. The Holy Spirit has to rule as the truth teller, the the truth revealer of Christ. He has to reign in our lives as the defense attorney, helping us, protecting us, keeping us, and then manifesting those graces among us. We can never pray too much for more of the fruit of the Spirit. We, We will never pray too much. I want to leave you with this last thought. When Jesus says, back in verse 14. Notice this. Look there with me. 14, 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He's not saying, Oh Lord, buy me a Mercedes Benz. He's not saying that. He's saying when we pray for things like a greater measure of the Spirit to rule and reign in our lives, when we ask Him to manifest more of Christ in us, when we pray that He keeps us and preserves us, the Lord Jesus is going to answer those prayers. You know why? Because he's just said this is what he's committed to doing. Um, I hope that as you think through these things this morning, you will, you will go to the Lord Jesus and ask him that you would know the spirit more in your life as the teacher, that you would know him more as your defense counselor, and that you would know him more as the peace provider. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do thank you for these words of life, these heavenly words. We do pray this morning that you would give us more of the Holy Spirit, how desperately we need him. We ask that you would forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we have quenched him, the ways in which we have... Um, we have uh, sought to walk in our own ways and not sought to live in the Spirit. We do pray that you cause your Holy Spirit to dwell in us in a greater measure. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would know him at work in us as the truth revealer, as the defense counselor, and as the peace provider. Would you do that for each and every man, woman, and boy and girl in this place? Lord We thank you and praise you for such a gift. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.